All right, I'll be honest with you, the last hour they were kind of rowdy, okay? It, it got a little crazy in here, right? So feel free because I'm getting used to that now, okay? Uh, yeah, there, thank you. Thank you for playing along, okay. Hey, we are going to continue our series of Paradox and we're going to be in 2 Corinthians again, but this time we're going to be in chapter 5. And so if you have your Bibles or if you've got your apps open or, or whatever, if you would go to that. And I want to share a little something with you. How many of y'all like new cars? How many of you like the new car smell? Yeah. Don't like the payment that comes with that, but I like the new car, okay? Yeah. I like the new car. I like new shoes. I'll be honest with you, yes, these are Chase's shoes, okay? But I need to let you know that I owned this pair of shoe, exact same type of shoe, when I was in middle school. So you cool kids, yeah, yeah, there's nothing new under the sun, okay? I had these things, and I was cool back in 1977. It's been a long time since I've been cool. All right, anyways. But we like new stuff, don't we? We like new homes. Remember the first time you've moved into a new apartment or you moved into an apartment for yourself the first time or when you bought your first new home or you rented your first new home and, and all those things. It's exciting to do that. It's exciting to get new clothes. We feel good when we wear new clothes. It's exciting when we get to choose what new is, all right? And so many times the new that we really get jazzed for is about stuff, all right? Uh, I like stuff. I mean, one of the, the greatest moments in my life, and this is truly pathetic, is when the UPS guy comes and drops a box, box at the front door. Ooh, it came. I don't even know what I ordered, but it came. Yeah. I will tell you, I didn't order it. I'm not allowed to order from Amazon, says Debbie. But anyways, don't tell her I said that. I hope she's not in this hour, okay? We even like new jobs sometimes, all right? There's an excitement where we're pursuing, especially if you've just graduated from college and, and you've got your degree in hand and you're gone through the interview process and somebody says, hey, listen, we want to encourage you. We want to invite you to come and partner with us and be part of this. There's an excitement with that new job, all right? But I will tell you this, that a lot of times with new comes a lot of anxiety. And sometimes new is downright fearful, let me ask you this, what happens in, on a Monday morning you walk in and somebody says, hey, listen, we've got new policies that we're going to implement starting today. Here's the policy that you need to do. But, but wait, I, I, the old policy worked just fine. No, 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 no. What about, hey, we got new procedures. This is what we're going to do going forward. For those of you that uh, are computer savvy, what would it be like for you to come to your desk one day and, and you were a Mac user and sitting on your desk was, dare I say, a state-of-the-art PC? Some of, yeah, some of y'all be freaking out. Now, inversely, if all of a sudden I came into my office and sitting on my desk instead of my beautiful PC, there was a Mac, I'd be like, ah! See, the thing is, new is okay when I get to choose, when we get to choose what new is. But when new is thrust upon us, that's when we balk. When new is put before us and I didn't get the vote or I didn't get to say, yeah, this is a good idea. I didn't get an opportunity to process through this. I will rebel against new. Tell me that isn't true. Maybe it's just me. But new can be intimidating and new can be fearful. 
I would tell you when I, when I meet with couples, one of the, the, the lines is, because one of the lines I use, and, and one of the goals of counseling, especially with couples, is not to bring you back to something old. In fact, what we've done, the reason why you're sitting here is because the old way didn't work. So why would we want to go back to that? What I want to do is I want to help facilitate and, and partner with you to move to something completely new. But the struggle within counseling and with so much of us is that new requires me to do things differently. But I like the old way. I might not like the outcome of the old way, but I know the old way. And so change and, and going from the old to the new can be very difficult for us. I want to share kind of the science, the brain science of new. I want to, you know, that our brain spends about 70% of its time either minimizing or preventing pain. And that can be physical pain, but it can also be emotional pain as well. There are five main functions that the brain kind of processes things and filters things through when change is inevitable or when we're in a situation that is new to us or a situation that may not be comfortable. Now, yes, the brain spends, you know, most, it, it, it's kind of on autopilot, the heart pumps, the brain thinks and reasons, the eyes work, the ears work, uh, the, the digestive system works. But these, these ideas about these, these functions about emotions that come in that is a filter that the brain uses to determine is this good, is this bad, is this fight or flight, is this embrace, whatever it is. And I want to share these with you. It's a, it's a, a model that is this, it's called the SCARF model. There should be a, a, a yeah, there it is, bam. The S in SCARF stands for status, and it is a perceived importance of others and self. Really, it's the status that I have. And the big question is, do I have value? Am I valuable? Is it, in a new situation, does this solidify my value or does it threaten my value? Now, imagine if you, you come into work and say, listen, we're going to do a whole new restructure and this is going to be good, but you're no longer going to be over these people. You're going to be doing this. That's going to be an attack to, to you on your status. Does that mean that? No, it doesn't mean that you're less. It means that we're just going to go in a different direction. We need you in this, all right? Your status stays the same. We're just doing things a little bit differently. The second thing that happens is certainty. Certainty asks the question, am I confident for the future? Am I confident specifically in my future? Are these changes that are coming and going from the old to the new, am I going to be okay? So again, these are all very, very selfish, but this is our brain. It's filtering all of these things through there. The, second, the third one is autonomy. And autonomy has to do with perceived sense of control of people or situations. And it asks the question, what are my choices? When change comes, when new is thrust upon us, one of the things that we have to do, well, hold on a second. Now I feel out of control. See, the old way, I knew what to do. The old way, I was in control. And now you want me to do something new and I can feel out of control. 
And again, if that becomes overwhelming, we really push back on new. The fourth one has all about, it's all about do I belong and it's relatedness. It's about relationship. Do I belong anymore here? What is the value that I have? Am I about ready to be kicked out or am I still part of the team? And finally, the last filter that the brain uses is that of fairness. Is it fair? Is it just? We love to say when things happen, well, that's just not fair. Well, if things were fair, things probably wouldn't be as good as they are for us. Does that make sense? Anybody ever thought of it that way? Fairness is important. It's very important. And so again, when we have one of these or a combination of these that start, you know, kind of going off, any one of these filters hits the panic button, change becomes very difficult for us. The ability to embrace new becomes very, very difficult for us because it is absolutely threatening to us. I will tell you 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came on the scene, there was this threat that came. In the Jewish mindset, the people of Israel for years had been expecting this Messiah. See, the reality is that Israel had been underneath captivity of so many different countries and nations and rulers. And they expected that this new Messiah, this, this Messiah would come in and he would change everything new. And that they would benefit from all of this newness. They would get the new car with the new car smell. Now that's probably a little tongue in cheek. Okay, it's a lot tongue in cheek. But they were expecting stuff and they were expecting for their benefit. But the Messiah came and then not only did he say, listen, I didn't come to establish new government and a new authority on earth I came ready to kick the doors open and allow the kingdom of heaven now to be not just for the Jews, but for everyone. Now, if I'm Jewish, that's a kick in the face. That's not what I wanted. You were supposed to come in and make my life better. And so now there's this pushback because now what you're saying is we're no longer elite. So my status begins to drop. My surety, my certainty of where I am begins to change. My autonomy, I can't control everything. Because in my Jewish religion, as long as I do X, Y, Z, and I'm tithing, and I'm sacrificing animals, and I'm going up to the temple on the right feasts, and I go to synagogue, and, and, and all of this, then I know I'm controlling and manipulating God in a way. And fairness, no, it's not fair. Why would we want to open this up to the Gentiles, those heathens? What's fair is what's good for me, not for others. What's fair is what's good for me and my relationship. Good night, do I belong anymore in the kingdom? More importantly, who is this Messiah? He doesn't belong anymore. And so what they did, instead of embracing the new, they rejected the new and shunned the new. 
Paul experienced this in almost every church he went to, in every city he went to. He came in preaching a whole new Jesus and a whole new relationship with a living God, a whole new way of living, a living that was ethical, that was driven by their, this new theology that Jesus came to take the first and put them last and allow the last to become first. Jesus' model was not that the God who created everything came to be served by mankind, but what Jesus did is he then became the example of what it is for a loving God to demonstrate what it is to serve others. That one in my mind blows my mind. And last of all, Jesus comes and Paul is preaching this message that, listen, the kingdom of heaven is for you. The kingdom of heaven is for anyone that will accept that Jesus is the son of God, that he came, that he lived, that he died, but most importantly, that he rose again. Wow. It's hard to embrace the new when we can't wrap our mind around it. When it comes in conflict with everything that we thought. And so these were the struggles that Paul faced on a daily basis with these folks. At Corinth, he not only had to deal with the oversimplified message of the gospel and basically is believe, but you don't have to do anything. They accepted the idea of grace. We like the idea of grace. But because grace comes upon us, we don't have to do anything. And that is false. It is because of that grace that Paul is going to say, we are now, in fact, let me, let me quote Paul here. In verses 14 and 15 of chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, for Christ's love compels us. When we embrace what Christ has done for us and how he has come and he's flipped everything over and as we begin to accept the new and be able to see that the new is actually for our benefit, it may be totally different than what we expected it to be, but it's so much better. We are compelled because of the grace that has been bestowed upon us. Paul says here, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Let me put it in this perspective. Last Sunday, right over here, we had the baptism waters in here. And one of the things that happens in baptism, it is a symbolic dying of the old person, all right? We acknowledge that Jesus died for us. And so when we're standing in those waters of baptism, this is what we're professing. We're professing, I am dying to the old man. I am dying to the old woman. I'm dying to the old person. And just as Jesus was buried, so we bury that old person in a watery grave. And as Christ rose again on that Sunday morning to newness of life, we rise up to newness of life. We witnessed that last week. What a beautiful thing. It happened on this campus. It happened in Fredericksburg. It happened in El Monte. It happened in Honduras. And it's happening all over the world. 
where people are saying, I am dying to the old and I'm going to embrace the new. That is phenomenal. And that is the grace that comes. Instead of me having to do a bunch of stuff, I've got, okay, time to go to the store, go buy a lamb, go, go cut its throat, got to give the blood, got to cook this, got to do that, I got to get doves. I don't like doves. Doves are messy, okay? All of this stuff. Jesus is saying, it's all about relationship. I need for you to come into relationship with me. And that's the newness. And that is foreign to us. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something a little crazy here. Something that pastors never tell you to do. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to actually ask you to stick your finger there in chapter 5. And I'm going to ask you to close your Bible. If you got your app, I'm going to simply ask that you turn your phone over. If you want, you can even close your eyes on this. Do not fall asleep. This is good stuff. Don't dim the house lights, whatever you do. No. Feel free to close your eyes. And I want you to open your ears. See, what we have here, and especially 2 Corinthians, and in the New Testament, these are letters. Letters that Paul wrote they were delivered to specific churches or regions and the idea was for them to be read in front of the congregation or for people to hear them. And so I want you to hear this section. From now on, now th think about this. We have died to the old self and we've been raised to newness of life. We're accepting grace and so Paul says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You ready? Here's the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Gang, this is good stuff. I hope when you heard it, there's a couple things that you heard. One, no more do we look at things from a worldly viewpoint. No longer can we look from the world's view at things. And it says no longer, no one, we no longer look at anyone the way that the world does. And the world will say that people are expendable. That people are to be used and manipulated. And because of a certain amount of pigment or the way that they wear their hair or anything like that that's different, we say that you have less value. And that's not true. And that's not what Jesus is saying. 
This is not what Paul was saying to the Corinthian church. We no longer look at anyone from a worldly point of view. And I'll even tell you that when he says no one, that no one includes us. What, are the, what is the narrative that you tell yourself? What has the world told you that you believe about yourself? Instead of listening to what God is saying. You've heard me say this many times before and I will continue to say this because it needs to be repeated over and over and over again that every single one of us and every single person we will ever come in contact with are image bearers of God. Amen. We are made in the likeness of the Holy Trinity. We have the ability to think and to reason. We have the ability to love. We have the ability to show compassion. We have the ability, though limited, to create. We are image bearers of God. Every single person we come in contact with and including the person that looks back at us from the mirror is an eternal being. And the question simply needs to be asked and answered is where will that eternal being spend eternity? Now that's a quote from C.S. Lewis or a paraphrase from C.S. Lewis, but it's very, very true. No longer do we look at anyone from a worldly point of view, and we especially no longer look at Jesus from a worldly point of view. The world tells us that Jesus is manipulating and controlling, and that he came to push the smite button on us. It is this ignorance that we have carried around and it is this ignorance that gets passed around in these little snippets that say that anybody that is in Jesus is a weak person, that Jesus was weak. And those are lies. In fact, it is just the opposite. It takes incredible amount of strength for somebody to say, I will come and I will demonstrate what real true love looks like to the point where I will allow you to beat me, mock me, nail me to a cross and and pierce my side with a spear so that you may live. I cannot, we cannot any longer look at Jesus from a worldly view and shrink back from what the world says instead of stepping forward boldly and saying, you totally misunderstand who Jesus is. The second thing that I hope that you heard when I read that passage is that Jesus is all about taking old things and making them new. And that is for us, for those of us that are in Jesus Christ, the old is gone and the new is here. Our old life is just that, old. It is part of our story. And so because it's part of our story, it is just that. It's a part of our story. It is not the whole story. It is not what defines us. We are not defined by the worst moments of our lives. We are defined by who Jesus Christ says we are. And again, if we, I am an image bearer and if I'm a child of God, then that means that I have value and worth. 
We have value and worth in Jesus Christ. Now I go back to that scarf model up there. The remainder of this chapter, Paul is going to outline these five things. He's going to address each one of these and say, listen, I need for you to think and I need for you to reason through this. And these are the very things that God says. God even says, hey, let's sit and reason for a minute. Think about it. Instead, what we like to do, we like our emotions to drive the train. I will tell you this, and again, I know I repeat myself a lot, but this is a reality that needs to sink in. My emotions get a voice, but they do not get a vote. Our emotions get a voice, but they do not get a vote. We have to think and reason through things. And so when we hear that Jesus wants to make things new and we're like, hold on a second, I kind of like the old. Or more importantly, there's a few things of the old that I really don't want to get rid of. Because it challenges each one of these little boxes in my brain. And all of a sudden, one of those emotions starts pushing the panic button. But I want you to hear what Paul says here. Okay? In verse 19, Paul is going to address, excuse me, in verse 18. Paul is going to address this idea of status and certainty. Paul says, and all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In Christ, we are raised in our status. Because at one point, we were enemies to God, but now with him, our status has been risen. We are in a place on firm foundation. Our certainty needs to be established upon that foundation that once we were lost, but now we are found. Once we were old and decrepit and dying, and now we are new and living. He has given us an assurance of our future, and he's empowered us with a ministry that we never even realized we had, let alone thought that we could ever deserve. See, in my sin, I think for me to come to Jesus, I got to get everything in one sock. I got to get myself right before I come to Jesus. And that misses the whole thing. That's missing. And that is the worldview of Jesus. The only way you come to Jesus is that you get perfect. It's just the opposite. The new way is, no, you come to me broken and Jesus says, I make you perfect. It is in me and through me that you become perfect. So I go from a place of absolute unsure or worse, I realize what my, my ultimate destination is to a place of, wait a second, you're reconciling a sinful man with a holy God? Jesus is reconciling? That doesn't make sense. If anything, the world says, no, if you're, man, if you're all messed up, Jesus wants nothing to do with you. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came for the sick, not the healthy. Paul addresses our autonomy, this idea of control in verse 19. That God was recon reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In my 
coming to Jesus, in our coming to Jesus, we are willingly relinquishing our control. No longer do we need to try to hide what has been. Because if we realize that what I used to do and what I used to be is no longer who I am, I no longer have to hide from that. I think one of the greatest things that we can do is to actually break our anonymity. I talk about this in our Celebrate Recovery all the time. I will encourage you all the time to break your anonymity so that you can help someone else while equally fighting for you to keep your anonymity. If you're not there yet, if you're not there to ready to say, hey, listen, my name's John, and I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, but I have victory today over alcohol. Some people, that's hard to say, and I understand that. But see, it's through Jesus Christ that that no longer defines me. It is part of my story. And what I really like to do is let me tell you what Jesus did in my life to change me. And I have not reached perfection, nor will I reach perfection until the day of Christ Jesus. But I know this, I am getting better every day. Every day that we allow Jesus to transform us more and more and more, we're getting better and better and better and better and better. Paul talks about our relationship and our relatedness. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Relatedness, ask the question, do I belong? And Paul reminds us, Jesus reminds us, do you belong? I'm putting you in a place of honor. You have now become an ambassador of the most high God. Do you know what an ambassador is? An ambassador says that you are my mouthpiece. God says you are my mouthpiece and you are my representative to everybody you come in contact with. How can I belong to that? I'm not, I'm not an ambassador. Yes, you are because you have died to the old self because Jesus has died for you. You've died to the old self so that you can then be and say, hey, listen, this is what I am. These are all my faults. These are all, this is what I have done. But let me tell you what Jesus has done. And I get to be, we get to be ambassadors, representatives of the king. And finally, fairness. Verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I'll be honest with you. That ain't fair. Jesus, Jesus is the one that went to the cross for me. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'll gladly take the benefits of that. But it's not fair. but it was God's plan from the very beginning. God knew our weaknesses. God knew who we are. And God from the very beginning knew that he would put on flesh. 
and that he would come and demonstrate what it is to live and to love and that he would become the sacrifice, the very thing that we need. The blood of Jesus to wash away our sins so that we sinful people can be reconciled, united with a holy God. This is the paradox. The old must become the new. And the new, you ready for this? Is the old, old story of how a Savior came to glory, came from glory for you and for me. I'm going to ask the worship team to come out. We're going to wrap this up real quick, and I have a question for those of you that are in Christ Jesus. What are the old things in your life that you're still holding on to? What are the things that you are unwilling to let go of? What are the things that I have given a lot of my life to you, but God, these ones here, I have a death grip on. In fact, I'm huddled around them and I'm holding them tight. Good luck, God, getting them from me. And what it's doing, it's preventing you from really living the life that you want. See, God is asking you to do something new. There are certain areas of our life we'll trust Jesus with. There are certain areas of our life that we'll trust God with. But there are certain areas also that I'm going to hold on to. Because every one of those emotional buttons is getting pushed. If I let this go, I am out of control. And all of a sudden, I have to depend upon you. The reality is that these have-tos are holding you back from the newness of life, the refreshing life that God wants from us, wants for us. So believer, what is it that you're holding on to that it's time to let go? There are some of you that are here and some of you that are watching online and maybe even some folks at our Fredericksburg campus that have never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And the idea of being reconciled to God is almost overwhelming because you know what your sins are. As David the psalmist writes about, my sins are always before me. I know what I've done and I know what I'm capable of. And God, I'll, I'll just get myself a little bit cleaned up here before I come to you. No, 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 no. That's a worldly view. The appropriate theological view, the appropriate view of Jesus is, no, I need for you come to me broken because this is the deal. Jesus is all about taking broken, dead things and mending them and breathing life back into them. And so if that's you today, I'm going to ask that you would pray this simple prayer, that you would surrender your, to yourself to God. Let the old man die because you know that Jesus died for you. And I want you to embrace grace 
And with that embrace, uh, uh, with you embracing grace, you will be compelled to move forward from there. So if that's you, I'm going to ask that you would pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you. Sinful man, a sinful woman, a sinful person. God, I'm asking you to be my savior. I'm asking that you would indwell me with your spirit. God, I know my sins. And they disgust me and I can only imagine what they, how you view them. And so God, I'm asking that you would no longer hold my sins against me. And that you would wash me white as snow. And that you would give me a new heart that is compelled to become not only your ambassador, but to become one who has been reconciled, a sinful man, a sinful woman, a sinful human being, and reconciled with a holy God. Change me, Lord. I submit myself to you. I willingly put myself under your care and protection. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, if that is you this morning, if you're online, I'm going to ask that you would simply push the little icon that's going to come up saying that, hey, listen, I'm accepting Jesus for the first time. We do this not to embarrass you, but we want to embrace you. And we want to partner with God and to partner with you so that you can grow and mature and become the fullness that Christ has in store for you. If you are at either one of our campuses, be it Fredericksburg or here at Stafford, our prayer team is gonna be right up front here. I'm gonna ask you to do something really super bold. I'm gonna ask that you would walk forward and that you would speak with myself or somebody on the prayer team and say, listen, I need a savior. Or listen, there are things in my life that I need to repent of and I need to let go of. Whatever it is that your need is and whatever your next step is, now is your time to do it. Father God, we close this service and we are gonna sing a song of worship to you and, we, and I pray that it would be something that comes from our heart. But Lord, I know that there are some that your word has pierced their soul today. And so I'm asking that it would be in your strength and it would be in your courage that they would move to take the next step, whatever it may be. And God, as a church, may we realize that we are your ambassadors. And today, in those moments, we get to be your representative and we get to be your mouthpiece to those that are hurting. God, fill us with your wisdom and your discernment and your grace. And may we demonstrate that to all. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.